0: turn to Hebrews chapter 9. We'll read through the first 22 verses that will be on the screen behind me. Let us hear the word of God. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary a tabernacle was prepared. The first part of which was the lampstand, the table, and the show bread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle was called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercies. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. Then to the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. But Christ came as High Priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made naked hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean and sanctified for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead words to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also, of necessity, be the death of the testator. For a testament is enforced after men are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. And likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. May God add his blessing to the reading of his precious and holy word. Well, as I've said, the, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the title of our thoughts this evening. I wonder what do you like at the sight of, of blood? I can still remember when I was a teenager and uh, in the church I went to in Swindon they were showing a what was called then a fact and faith film in glorious technicolor that shows you how old I am and um, it was, they were showing an operation, not sure why, but it was an operation on the heart, and they stopped the heart, open heart surgery. And uh, next minute I knew my brother was carrying me out. <clears throat> and uh, I still have a problem with watching uh, uh, hospital programs um, showing lots of blood. Yet of course, blood is vital, isn't it? To us. Without it, we just wouldn't be alive. In fact, even in the Bible, I say even in the Bible, in Leviticus, in chapter 17, it says the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's how important the blood is. Without blood, there is no life. Blood represents life. And uh, if we have operation, then... Often you'll need a blood transfusion. And before they were able to invent that, of course, uh, most people died of uh, when they were being operated. And so we can see just from a human perspective, you know, blood is something so important, so vital. And I just want for a few moments to consider what is at the very heart of our Christian faith and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, to many outside of church, many outside of evangelical churches, they would not want you to talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. They would see it as offensive. In fact, when I was, again, growing up in the 60s, um, even people in churches... They would say, well, why have you got to keep on about the blood of Jesus Christ? They found it offensive. They hated all the emphasis on the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, I can vaguely remember that uh, some people at that time regarded it as a butcher shop theology. Obviously, an abattoir, killing animals and taking them and cutting them up and so on. It was uh, a lot of blood involved. It's a butcher shop. And that's how some people viewed the preaching on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted nothing to do with it. And yet 60 years later or so, I wonder, has much changed? People so much against this idea. It's all right to talk about, you know, God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy and grace, So we thank God for that, because if it wasn't for his love, grace, and mercy, we wouldn't be here tonight. And that's okay. Even people perhaps outside of church would find it okay to think, well, there's a God who loves me. It's a nice idea, isn't it? But to concentrate on the death of Jesus Christ, to concentrate on the shedding of his blood, well, it's something they don't really want to know, and perhaps even... Somebody here tonight won't want to know about that. But tonight I just want to share with you just these few simple thoughts on the blood of Jesus Christ. Because as one person has put it, it is Christ's precious blood that puts amazing into grace, puts the wonderful into the gospel, and puts miraculous into God's plan of salvation. I trust that uh, you will agree with that tonight. Because all the way through the Bible, there's a lot of talk about blood. Yes, even in our New Testament, there's a lot of talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. And especially here in this book of Hebrews. And the writer to the Hebrews is comparing, really, Christianity with the old covenants with what is uh, set out in the Old Testament. And the writer contrasts uh, Jesus with with Moses, as we read uh, that through in chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews. He contrasts um, Moses with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He contrasts Christ's priesthood to that of Aaron, the new covenant to the old covenant, and even the heavenly tabernacle to the earthly one. So let's come to uh, these verses. I particularly want to concentrate on verses 11 to 14 of Hebrews 9. Perhaps I can just read them to you again. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. My first uh, point this evening is to consider the necessity of shed blood. Why was blood so necessary to the way of salvation, of being forgiven by God? All the way through, as I've said, all the way through the Old Testament, from the beginning, you can read of the shedding of blood. And uh, Dullan, even this morning, mentioned and had that reading on Cain and Abel, and how uh, Abel's sacrifice was more acceptable than Cain's. And uh, was this, uh, I believe, a picture of the sacrificial system that would develop and ultimately culminate in the death and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But perhaps the best picture of all is in Exodus uh, chapter 12. I haven't got time to to read it through this evening, but I'm sure you're aware of much of Exodus 12. It's all about the Passover, how um, God has sent nine plagues so far on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but still he refused to let Israel leave slavery and move towards a promised land. So God told Moses that he would send one more plague. And that would be the death of the firstborn of every Egyptian. And, of course, uh, in order to distinguish uh, the Egyptians from the people of Israel, they, the Lord commanded that uh, each family would take a lamb into uh, their home, keep it for a number of days. And it uh, wasn't any old lamb. its a lamb that uh, had to be spotless without blemish, no defects in it. Surely that was a a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, perfect, spotless, yes, man, but God. Yes, living in this world, but spotless and without sin. And then, of course, that lamb had to, to be killed. And it was killed as a substitute for that family because the Blood of that lamb had to be taken and sprinkled on the uh, doorposts and on the lintel of the house. And uh, it meant that when the angel of death came to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians, then that angel of death passed over where the blood had been applied. And so all those inside were, were safe. It was a substitution and we're so used to substitutes, aren't we? Can't watch a football match, a rugby match. Seems to be endless in a rugby match. a number of substitutes they allow. Even in cricket now, they, they will allow substitutes. So we, we understand that concept, I hope, of substitutes. And the Lord Jesus Christ was the ultimate substitute. Dying on the cross instead of us. Dying in our place. And it's a great vivid picture as that lamb was shed its blood and applied to the doors, doorposts, as a substitute for the people so they didn't die. So the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed is a substitute for each one of us if we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can imagine what some of the Egyptians must have thought as they saw these Israelites um, putting blood on the doorposts and on the lintel of their house. You can imagine them, some of them would have, yes, they would have asked what they're doing. And when they were told, they would have laughed and perhaps mocked at them. would perhaps say, well, don't be ridiculous. How can the blood of a, of a lamb uh, save you? Well, down through the centuries, people have said the same thing. How can the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ save you from your sin? And perhaps at the moment you think, too, that this is just foolishness. And the gospel is foolishness to men, but it's the power of God unto salvation. So we can see from this picture of the Passover in Exodus 12, you can see the necessity of the shedding of blood. But secondly, I just want to consider the superiority of Christ's blood. Did you notice that as we read those verses, 9.13 in particular, it says, the blood of bulls and goats, ashes of a heifer, sprinkling young clean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ you know, save us? How much more? Because despite all the thousands, nay, probably millions of sacrifices that took place all the way through the Old Testament, over 100,000 of years, you think, you can't really add up, I don't suppose, how many animals were killed. And yet, they were unable, ultimately, to save people. Yes, it purified the flesh, but ultimately could not save from Sin and death. Don't we sing um, uh, in our hymn? Not, I can never pronounce, sorry, I can never remember hymns very well, but uh, it could not give the guilty conscience peace or wash away my sin. That's true, isn't it? All the sacrifices, they could not solve the problem of guilt, a guilty conscience or wash away. The sin. Christ's blood is superior because, as we've already seen, the spotless Lamb of God, but also because it was God's appointed means of our salvation. The angel at Christmas, as we think of Christmas, the angel came to uh, Joseph at his birth and at Christ's birth and said, His name's to be called Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Straight away, even before Jesus had been born, Joseph and Mary were told he's going to save his people from their sins, and that's why you must call him Jesus. The blood of bulls and goats were appointed for ceremonial cleaning, for cleansing, but Christ's blood is for the forgiveness of our sins. And there's a verse in Acts 4, isn't it? says that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved there's no other way no other salvation it's only through the blood of the lord jesus christ and of course so many people they would rather think of all the ways they can what they can do how can i please god well i'll come to church i'll read my bible i'll pray i'll give money to charity i'll i'll help people as much as i can and all those things are very good, but ultimately these things cannot save you. Jesus Himself said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me." Yes, we have an exclusive gospel. And again, in our day and age, people will say, "Well, you can't. You can't be like that. You can't leave everybody else out. You you, you just think you're superior." Just you Christians are going to be saved. What about all the millions of Hindus or, 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 or Muslims uh, and other people of a religion or, or of no religion at all? You're leaving them all out. And that's sad, isn't it? Sad to think that so many people are going to a lost eternity. But there is a way. There is a way back to God. And it's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's appointed means. For salvation, but notice also it's through the eternal Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved in this. We should always remember that that Christ's physical suffering was nothing compared to the spiritual agony that he experienced on that cross. He was separated from God the Father for the first and only time in his entire existence was to uh, no separation from God the Father. It was a spiritual sacrifice, as well as a physical sacrifice. It says in Romans that somebody, uh, you, you might be prepared to die for a friend. And there are cases in history and cases in war, where, where somebody has perhaps died taking the bullet, as it were, for a friend. Well, that is possible. It does happen. But to do it for an enemy? but to do it for the person who perhaps uh, hated the most. And yet Jesus Christ, that physical suffering, yes, but above all, spiritual suffering, the agony of being separated from the Father. And so this blood is applied to us spiritually through the eternal spirit, whereas the blood of beasts, of course, are only applied Uh, to the flesh. And so we see the superiority of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but very closely associated with that. But thirdly, let's look at the importance or the value of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we see this in a great word, which again, we, we don't use very often, and that's the word propitiation. Now, propitiation is sometimes translated about the atonement, but really it, it's a good word, even though it's a long word, and probably, like me, I have difficulty spelling it, but it's such an important word. It's a. It means, of course, turning away the wrath of God. Turning away the wrath of God. It's necessary because it describes that essential truth of the gospel, because God must punish sin. He is a God of justice. He is a a God who cannot overlook sin. He has to punish sin. And if we are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we don't know him as Saviour and Lord, then we too will suffer that punishment from God himself. But thank God. That he sent his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us as a propitiation for our sins. He died to turn the wrath of God away from us and placed it upon his own dear son there on the cross of Calvary. Jesus took our punishment for us. The Apostle Paul uh, says this very clearly in Romans um, 23: it says, whom God, talking about Jesus, God sent, set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. You see, yes, God is a God of justice. God is a righteous God. And sin has to be dealt with. And it's dealt with in The Lord Jesus Christ, as he shed his blood for us. God's wrath against sin explains why the high priest never came into God's presence, never came into that holy of holies without the blood of the sacrifice, without offering that sacrifice, that atoning sacrifice. We read that in our passage in Hebrews 9, 7. Into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. You see, even the high priest, he would not go into the Holy of Holies unless he was able to bring the blood of the offering. He would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and so on. Blood was involved. We shouldn't think of uh, propitiation as uh, involving an angry God. Who uh, reluctantly um, appeased by killing his own son. Now, so some people would look at, no, he wasn't an angry God doing this. In fact, the whole initiative of salvation, the reason why he sent Jesus, was out of his love, not out of his anger, out of his love. we know John three sixteen so well, don't we? But God so loved the world that he sent. His only begotten Son. That's so important that we must never forget that God dealt with the punishment of our sin in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. But it's not only valuable, and important because of propitiation. It's also important, and I'm sorry to use another word, expiation. Go away and remember those two words are vital, really, to the gospel, because expiation really means. The removal or cleansing of our sins through Christ's blood. Because it says, how much more should the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself there spot to God. Why? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Again, the old covenant in the Old Testament is symbolic of expiation. You think of... You read all those laws in Leviticus, which are so hard, and it's a temptation just to skip over them. But if a person was a leper, um, he could be uh, restored, but he had to go through certain rites. He had to go to the priest and uh, had to see that he was truly cured. We find that even with one of the miracles of Jesus, don't we? When a person, um, when he healed Some of the lepers, he said, well, go and show yourself to the priest. There were certain things they had to do, to ritual, to show that they were clean. Well, that's what uh, expiation really means. We are cleansed from our sin. We are washed clean as snow, as uh, again, Dullam mentioned in his children's talk this morning. Whiter than the snow. And yet people still seem to misunderstand all this. People still think it's, well, it's something I've got to do. I've got to contribute something to my salvation. One of the, um, back in the Second World War in Germany, there was a man called Albert Speer. Um, He did so much uh, to keep Germany in the war. He put uh, the whole of Germany on a war war footing and uh, probably the main reason why Germany kept fighting for so long, even though, Russia was coming in from the east, and America and Britain from the west. Albert Speer was uh, organizing the economy so that the Germans could fight on. And of course, as you will know, at the end of the Second World War, you had the Nuremberg Trials that took place. um, And Speer, because he wasn't actually a member of the Nazi party, he was not put to death, as many of the other leading Nazis were. Um, But he was put into Spandau prison, and he was there for some 20 years. And while he was in prison, he wrote this um, concerning what he had done. He said his guilt never could, nor should be forgiven, and that he would forever be seeking to atone for his sins. He'd go for the rest of his life, he said he would be seeking to atone for his sins. Well, you can perhaps understand that given so much uh, suffering that uh, that war brought about, that he was involved in. But what, of course, he didn't realise, didn't realise, is that we cannot atone for our sins. Only Jesus was able to do this for us on the cross of Calvary. And so then tonight, as we begin to draw our thoughts to a close, what are the benefits of the shed blood of Jesus Christ? What's it got to do with us now, today, tonight, tonight? Well, obviously, salvation, and we touched on that already, is salvation and the forgiveness of sins. But I just want to perhaps quickly mention a couple of other benefits that we've um, read about. And the first one is the cleansed conscience. In that verse I just read to you again, it said that it was. Uh, offered himself that spot to God. Cleanse your conscience. I wonder, what's your conscience like tonight? Is it a guilty conscience? You know, it, a conscience can reveal three problems, I think. It reveals the knowledge of past sinful acts. Things perhaps at one time we've, we've done wrong in the past and We've almost, well, basically, most of the time we've forgotten about them. But then the devil comes along to, to remind us. How can you be a Christian because you did that particular sin? And didn't we sing in one of our hymns tonight? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sins. Yes, the devil would remind us. Our conscience would remind us of past sins. But then there's the awareness perhaps of present sinful desires, sinful thoughts, because of our sinful natures. We feel unclean. And perhaps that keeps us uh, from coming to God. We think, well, I've done that besetting sin once again. I can't come to God to God, to ask for forgiveness again. I committed that sin last week. I asked for forgiveness last week, and I, I just can't keep coming to God's. And yet God is a God of love. Yes, sins of the past, present. And as we'll see in a moment, sins of the future as well. We feel unclean. It keeps us from God. Do you remember Isaiah um, in that great chapter in, in, in Isaiah chapter six. He's seen a vision of the glory of God as um, in the temple, and he's seen as he's seen that glory. He's aware of his own failings. He's aware of his own sin, and he he cries out, "Woe is me! I am undone! I'm a sinful man." Peter said the same. He said, "Depart from me," to Jesus, because I'm a sinful man, O Lord conscious of their sin. And yet, forgiveness through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can make us clean. And as I said, future sins. I think it was Andrew this morning in our prayer time said that, uh, read that verse from uh, 1 John, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from, from all sin. And that's so wonderful, isn't it? We... Don't take anything away from tonight. Let's go out with that thought. Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin, past sin, present sin, future sin. Marvellous. Marvellous thought. And so too, not only does he deal with that conscience, that guilt in our lives, but he also, through the blood of Jesus Christ, brings us to God in prayer. And that's again another vital element, isn't it? I'm sure you know the verse at the end of Hebrews 4, verse 16, it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We often quote it, don't we? But do we actually come boldly to the throne of grace, not in our own merits, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us through that shed blood that we're thinking of to It's a tragedy for us, I think, who's truly cleansed not to draw near to God in prayer, or how we need to come to the Lord in prayer and keep saying the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Let me finish with just another illustration of how God can save even those who have sinned so much. I mentioned just now Albert Speer in Germany. Well, there was uh, the foreign minister, the German foreign minister, before the war and during the war was a man named Ribbentrop. Ribbentrop. And uh, he was put on trial at Nuremberg, and he was found guilty of war crimes And he was going to be put to death. Uh, But there was a godly pastor who came and ministered, yes, even to these leading Nazis. You can't think of perhaps more more evil people than than some of the Nazis. And yet this godly pastor, this faithful pastor, came and ministered the gospel to these men who were there waiting a death sentence. And Ribbentrop, yes, he was led out and uh, he was to be hanged. But he was allowed to speak just before um, they put the rope, as it were, around his neck. And you might have thought, okay, he's going to say hi, Hitler, or you know, Germany is wonderful, or or something like that about n- the Nazis. But no, this is what he said. He said, "I place all my confidence in the Lamb who made atonement for my sins." You see, yes, even at the end of his life, even a leading Nazi had Come to the Lord in repentance and faith, and he put his confidence in the Lamb who made atonement for his sins. As Ribbentrop found forgiveness and a cleansed conscience through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I trust as we leave tonight that we can truly say that of ourselves. Let me just close by reading a few verses from Hebrews 10 and uh. And then we'll sing our final hymn. Hebrews 10:19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. May be true of each one of us here. Tonight's. Amen.